In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. And after his baptism, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. And the devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. And then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished every test, he departed from Jesus until an opportune time. The Gospel of the Lord. And so, Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that we would hear not just the words of men, but the words of God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to take that as my text this morning from Luke's Gospel, Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1021, Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, and beginning at verse 1. This morning, I want to talk about temptation. (laughs) Temptation. And there's three things that I'd like us to notice, and the first is that temptation happens. It happened to Jesus. Indeed, notice again, beginning at verse 1, and, that, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan after he had been baptized. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. So the son with whom the father was well pleased led him into the wilderness to be tempted. And so he was tempted. And apparently it was God's will. It was the Father's will that Jesus be tempted as it was the Father's will that Job should be tempted. Do you remember the story of Job? Right? And the, the angels of God were meeting and Satan was there. And God said to Satan, so where have you been? And he says, I've been roaming around in the earth. He says, oh, well, if you've been roaming around in the earth, you must have considered my servant Job. There's no one more righteous than he. And Satan said, well, does Job serve you for nothing? You've blessed every aspect of his life. Take away all the things that you've given him, and he'll curse you to his face. And God said, okay, 
take it away. And Satan took it away. And Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God won, Satan zero. And another day came, right? And they were meeting and Satan came along and God said, oh, well, so where have you been? He said, I've been roaming around the earth. He says, well, you must have considered my servant Job. There's no one more righteous and godly than he. Oh, well, sure. But if you take away his health and touch his flesh, he will curse you to his face. And he said, okay, well, then take it away. And so he was plagued with these terrible boils and his health was taken away. And he said, naked I came and naked I will go. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. <laughs> Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so Jesus is tempted and is suffering in the wilderness. In fact, we read in Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews wrote in chapter 4 and verse 15, speaking of Jesus as our great high priest who represents us to God the Father. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. <laughs> you ever feel weak? <laughs> Jesus knows exactly what that feels like. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who in every respect, every respect, has been tempted and tested just as we are and yet without sin and so Jesus was tempted and so are we in fact you might have noticed that <laughs> indeed no one is exempt temptations happen to everyone temptation happens to unbelievers and temptation happens to believers in fact, you may be experiencing some kind of temptation even now in your life. You're tempted to lie or to cheat or to steal because you see some, maybe there's some sort of benefit in doing that. Or to serve an idol, some, some finite thing, rather than God as an ultimate thing in your life. Or to hate and to resent rather than to love and to forgive. Or to gain what is good by doing what is wrong. In fact, someone has written this, Satan's primary tactic of a deception is to make us think that we can gain what is good by doing what is wrong. Listen to that again. Satan's primary tactic of deception. When you're thinking, yeah, this will work, that's the evil one. Satan's primary tactic of deception is to make us think that we can gain what is good by doing what is wrong. And that is a deception, and that is a lie, and it may work out for a while. But when you face God, it'll be a different matter. And so that's the first thing, temptations happen. Secondly, temptations serve a purpose. Something very, very important, especially if you're living a Christian life. And you might be tempted to give up or doubt God because things are difficult and your faith is being tested, or you're being even, maybe even being tempted to do what is wrong. Temptations serve a purpose. And that purpose, simply put, is that temptations reveal who you really are. Just as tempted the temptations that Jesus suffered revealed who he was. 
In fact, we're going to talk about some of that in a little bit of detail. It's absolutely extraordinary. And after we see him go through the temptation, we go, wow, that's the man. And so temptations reveal who we are just as Jesus was revealed and manifested by the things that he suffered in temptation and in testing. In fact, that's, test, that's what tests are designed to do, to reveal the truth. Ever take a test in school? <laughs> they reveal the truth. Either you know the material or you don't. And to be tested spiritually, morally, reveals who we are. In fact, this whole thing with Jesus in the wilderness smacks of a, of a parallel with what happened to the children of Israel in their 40 days wilderness wandering. Jesus accomplished in 40 days what, what the children of Israel couldn't accomplish in 40 years, namely obedience and faithfulness to God. But we read in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2, Moses talking to the people says, and you shall remember the whole way, the whole journey that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Every time you're tested, that's the question. <laughs> Will you be faithful to God or not? And the test will reveal and provide the answer to that question. Indeed, testing reveals what is really in our heart. And it works every time, as all tests do, showing us not merely what we might seem to be to others, but who we really are in God's eyes. Indeed, someone has written this, reputation is what, what I am to other people. Character is what I am to God. And there's a difference between reputation and character. And so, firstly, temptations happen. Secondly, temptations serve a purpose. And then thirdly, and we'll spend just a little time here, temptation can be overcome. <laughs> it can be overcome. Indeed, failure needn't be a foregone conclusion, even though in most of our lives that's usually what happens. We're tested, we're tempted, and we fail. But temptation can be overcome. And for this, we have Jesus as a model. Jesus overcame temptation. And his disciples, our calling is to follow his model. Don't ever, let your, don't ever let yourself tell yourself, oh, well, I can't do that. I'm not Jesus. You're called to be like him. I'm called to be like him. In fact, Paul writing to the Ephesians in chapter 5 of the letter to the Ephesians as we have it, chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Be ye imitators of God. <laughs> Try to do that, right? In fact, Jesus talking about the nature of discipleship famously in Matthew chapter 10 and beginning at verse 24 said this, A disciple is not above his teacher. Our relationship to Jesus isn't, Hey, you know what? I could use a little help over here. Hey. Right? Okay, thank you very much. Now I'm on my way. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough. It is enough that the disciple be like his teacher and the servant like his master. 
That is the goal of discipleship. Are you pursuing him? Or as Rob Bell talked about it, being covered in the dust of your rabbi, which was something that he took from the, from the rabbinical literature. And the, the Jewish disciples would talk about being covered in the dust of their rabbi, which meant as the rabbi went down those dusty Middle Eastern roads, they followed so closely that the dust from his feet got all over them. And it's a metaphor saying that the way that my master walks and the way that my rabbi talks and the, what my rabbi thinks and what my rabbi eats and what my rabbi does, I do. And so when the apostle Paul talked about it is no longer I but Christ who lives in me, it finds its root in a rabbinical idea that I lose myself and I become just like him. And this applies to temptation as it would apply to anything. It was Dallas Willard who famously put it this way. He said, discipleship is learning from Jesus how to live my life as he would if he were me. <laughs> how would Jesus treat my wife? How would Jesus treat my children? How would Jesus treat my staff? How would Jesus behave if he was working for someone else and I'm having a problem with my boss. <laughs> what would Jesus do? And that is at the heart of true discipleship. And so what do we learn from Jesus? The Jesus model as it relates to temptation. Three things seem to stand out to me as I was thinking about this. And the first is that if we would win the battle over temptation, we must be full of the Spirit. You can't do it on your own. Try to do it on your own, and you will take the cookie. You will fail. You will fail. Notice again verses 1 and 2, and Jesus full of the Spirit. Wow. This is a common theme in, in the writings of Luke and his gospel and the Acts of the Apostles. And when it says, uh, and that Peter was full of the Spirit, or Jesus was full of the Spirit, then something really exciting follows after and here this may not seem so exciting but no one can not call it powerful notice and Jesus full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan where he had been baptized and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and for 40 days of fasting and prayer he was tempted by the devil and so if we would win the battle over temptation we have to follow this model we must be full of the Spirit. Fill me, Lord. This is a common prayer. I oftentimes feel weak and uh, unable to do perhaps what needs to be done. And I prepare and I work, I guarantee you, to the best of my ability. I pour myself out, but it doesn't seem to be enough. And so I pray, Lord, fill me with your Spirit and do what I cannot do in my human flesh. And that's where Jesus was. In fact, we're called in the New Testament to do that. Be not drunk with wine, which is dissipation. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting, listen to the, the, the expression, be filled, it's passive. Present yourself passively to allow the Holy Spirit to take control of your thoughts and your heart and your life and live His life, bear His fruit, which is love, joy, peace, 
goodness, faithfulness, self-control, and all meekness, etc., and let the Holy Spirit live through you, the Holy Spirit will never say yes to the devil. <laughs> Secondly, if we would win the battle over temptation, we mustn't let the devil push us around. Don't let him push you around. Jesus didn't let him push him around, notwithstanding the fact that he'd been fasting for 40 days, and as Luke says here, and at the end of all of it, in verse 2, he was hungry. He may have been hungry, but he wasn't weak in spirit. I mean, can you imagine? How would you feel if you just spent 40 days fasting and praying and communion with God? It's like you're ready for battle. <laughs> When, when in John chapter 4, when uh, Jesus was at, with the woman at the well, you remember that story? And the disciples went into town to go get food. <laughs> and, and they came back with food, and he's, he's still chatting with her. And then they're, and they're saying, Master, Master, we brought food. Come eat, eat something. And he says, I have food that you don't know about. And they start talking amongst themselves. Hey, does somebody else bring him some food? And then he said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me. <laughs> My food, my satisfaction is to do the will of whom, him who sent me. But he doesn't let the devil have an inch. He's filled with the Spirit. He didn't dwell on anything that the devil said. See, this is a problem with us, right? The devil says, hey, you know what? I, let me make a suggestion. <laughs> The devil makes his suggestion and Jesus is right on top of it. He doesn't dwell on it. He doesn't negotiate with the devil. He doesn't negotiate with God about, you well, Lord, do you think I should follow the devils? No, no. You know the answer to that question. You ever do this one? Well, I'll do it and then I can confess. Oh, man. That, you know who came up with that? The devil. <laughs> the devil came up with that one. Yeah, you know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So come on and let's do this terrible thing and you can confess after. But you still did the thing and that's not to follow in Jesus' way. By the way, I know what I'm talking about. I've done it. He doesn't negotiate with the devil. He resists the devil outright. Notice again, verses 3 and 4. The devil said to him, If you're the Son of God... By the way, that's what's called in the Greek a first-class condition. Satan is not doubting that he's the Son of God. He knows he's the Son of God. Have you read the Gospels? Every time Jesus comes, and comes within earshot of, of de demon-possessed people, the people, cry, the, the people cry out, the demon's voice speak, and they go, Jesus, Son of God, why did you come here to torture us? The, the demons know who he is. Satan knows who he is. And so he says, and the devil, uh, he says, and if you're the Son of God, command these stones to, to become bread. You know, you're hungry. <laughs> I mean, that's important, right? Everybody needs a good, good meal, you know. You'll, you'll get weak and sick. <laughs> and Jesus said, let me tell you something. Man should not live by bread alone. This takes you back to John 4 again. I have food that you don't know. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And by the way, devil, I don't take orders from you. It's in the imperative. 
He tells Jesus, he commands Jesus to make the stone bread. <laughs> and Jesus tells him, lump it. <laughs> Man does not live by bread alone and in the other gospels, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so Jesus resisted the devil outright. And if we would be victorious in temptation, we must do the same. Just say no. Sometimes I do that. I just, this pops in, I just say no. No. And move on. You say no, you say it with passion. You say it with immediacy. Don't let that thing fester. Say no right when it pops in your head. In fact, uh, in the rule of St. Benedict, Benedict wrote this. I scratched it down. It was great. He said, as soon as a wrong thought comes into your mind, dash it against Christ. <laughs> There's a little background there. Christ is the rock. <laughs> right? As soon as that thought comes, just dash it against Christ. Deal with it immediately. And so if we would win the battle over temptation, we mustn't let the devil push us around. In fact, James, the half-brother of Jesus, in his letter that we have toward the end of the New Testament, wrote this, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Give yourself to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In fact, that's what happens at the end of this. When Jesus resists him three times, the devil goes. The devil leaves. Finally, if we would win the battle over temptation, we must know the scriptures. And we must be passionate about doing them. Did you notice that Jesus in all three instances quotes scripture? And he didn't say, wait a minute, devil, let me go get my Bible. He apparently, he knew, he knew them. <laughs> he, knew, he knew them. In fact, at an outdoor concert a couple of years, a couple of summers back, a Mark Hall of the Christian group uh, Casting Crown said this to the crowd, and I scratched it down. He said, if you're not in the word of God for yourself, your life will be directed by all the wrong voices. <laughs> if you're not in the word of God for yourself, your life will be directed by all the wrong voices. Wow, that begs the question. What are the voices that are directing my life? Is it the voice of God? Or is it another voice? Notice that every time he, Jesus responds with Scripture, notice the verses 3 through 4. And the devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written. It is written. <laughs> and he quotes Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3. It's right there in the Old Testament. Man shall not live by bread alone. Or as Peterson put it in the message, it takes more than bread to really live. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. It takes more than just this stuff that we're always chasing after that it might give us some temporary joy or pleasure. It takes more than that to say, I'm, I'm really living. And we were, we were created to live in, in communion with God. And as Pascal said, that we all have a God-shaped hole within us. And if, we're, if that, hole, that hole within us isn't filled with God, we feel an emptiness. That's why you keep on, and that's why we keep on chasing after stuff. 
and chasing and I need more and more and more. As would somebody asked Rockefeller, you know, is a, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little more. <laughs> just a little more. Then notice verses 5 and 8. 5 through 8. And the devil took Jesus up, uh, took him up. If you're in the Judea wilderness, there's lots of highs and lows. Took him to a place and, sh and it says here, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. Gave him a vision. Shows you something about the devil's ability to do what we would think of as spiritual things. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory for he has been delivered to me. As John says in his letter, the whole world lies in the hand of the evil one. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment and said to him, I will give all this authority and their glory to you, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to whom I will, if you then will worship me. <laughs> It'll all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 13. Scripture. Notice again verses 9 through 12. And he took Jesus to the temple and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. The, 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 what we would think of as more or less the roof. And all the people are down and the priests and the Levites are working and they're slaughtering animals and the smoke from the altar and the people are there praying and all this going on and Satan places him on the top. Cast yourself down, man. Better than TV. Look at that. Who's that guy? If you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. <laughs> throw yourself down. For it's written... And we read it today from Psalm 91. Oh, Satan can quote scripture too. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, <laughs> It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 16. The point being there that Jesus has made promises to us. In fact, Satan quoted promises. And God will keep those promises, Jesus is saying. But God is God and we are not and it's not our place to put God on trial. We do that, by the way. How could you let this happen? I'm not going to believe you anymore. Well, okay, put, you put God in the dock and put him on trial. And then you have your friends cross-examine him. <laughs> Our calling is not to test God. Our calling is to trust God. That's what Jesus is saying here, even in the midst of a difficult and unpleasant circumstance. And we know what he said is true because this is the message of the Scripture. God is God, and I'm not. And so what have we learned? Well, we've learned that 
temptations happen. No one is exempt, even Jesus was tempted. Secondly, we learn that temptation has a purpose. I think that's probably, I think we probably know the first one. Temptations happen. The second one maybe is a little fuzzy and perhaps even new. The temptation has a purpose. Temptation shows me who I really am, shows you who you really are, just as it showed who Jesus really is. And finally, temptation can be overcome. And it is our relationship with the Word of God, according to what we see here in the model of Jesus, that plays a major role as to whether we will succeed or whether we will fail when we're tempted. And I close with this quote from Psalm 119. In Psalm 119, verses 9 and 11, the psalmist said, Lord, who, how can a young man keep his way pure? Or anybody just happens to be a young man. It's a wisdom, a wisdom expression. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. And then he says, your word, Lord, have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's how important the Word of God is, and especially when we're being tempted. Amen? Let us pray. Lord, the Christian life is so full. <laughs> there's times of joy, there's times of sorrow, there's, there's times of enlightenment, there's times of, of challenge. And all of it you make use of to provide us opportunities to grow and to be stronger and to mature, to become more like Christ. You give us these challenges and you keep on giving them until we pass them and then you give us other challenges and we kind of move from uh, kindergarten spirituality until maybe we're working on our spiritual PhD. Some of us never seem to get out of kindergarten but you've called us to more. And so wherever we are, whatever grade level we might be, might be in, metaphorically speaking, may you, by your grace, encourage us to pass the test and, and move on to the next level. Because in fact, as, one, as we might think, that having a PhD and seeing things that I couldn't see when I was in kindergarten is a great deal of more satisfying than, than finger paints and paste. <laughs> and so help us, Lord, as disciples of Christ, help us to follow in the way that has been set before us. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.